Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before. And we're about ready to go. So you ready to go? It's, uh, I know for some of us, it's, it, with the daylight savings time, it's, uh, to, to be able to have to come here and it's pitch black again. At least it's not raining out. Uh, but at least the, the light is bright in here. Amen? So let's stand. We're gonna, I'm gonna have a word of prayer. We'll do a worship song here and then we'll get into this evening. So gracious God and King Alvino Omokenu, our Father. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. It's called out a people to to receive your Torah. You are the giver of Torah. And blessed are you, Lord our God, who has granted repentance to the Gentiles, of which so many of us uh, are here and around the world, that we've been grafted into your people to receive your blessing, to know your will, your purposes, your plans. And, Father, you reveal your mysteries and your secrets to us. You just ask us that we have an open heart and our ears are open and that we have a meekness and a humility to learn, uh, Father, and unlearn some things that we've We've known for years that has confounded us, but then at the same time, things that new things that are bringing new light to our hearts so that we might know you in a much closer way. So we raise a blessing to you and thank you for this evening in Yeshua's name. And El Shaddai here, Pastor Mark has taken kind of a different approach in the beginning of the teaching of this. People, when they get teaching about the book of Revelation, are usually expecting a certain thing. They want to see, you know, the plagues poured out or who, you know, who, which, which woe is coming next or who's Gog and Magog and where's this war and how much blood, how high is the blood in, in, uh, you know, and all of these, these things. They want to, when is this going to happen and when is this? And, and we get tons of emails about this all the time. But the approach is a little bit different how Pastor Pastor Mark has taken this, and he, of course, he laid the foundation of it from uh, the teaching on the feasts, because the feasts are threaded out, quite frankly, through the book of Revelation and dictate the events, some of those events. And so, you know, our view of the book of Revelation right now has been from the feast point of view, and those events are intertwined throughout the book. Our common element here, when you look at the feasts, what was what was the... What was the, I, I would guess you could say, mandate for men of the children of Israel when it came to the feast? What did they have to do every year? They had to come up, they had to go up to Jerusalem. But specifically, what, where did they go in Jerusalem? What was the center of what was happening? The temple. The temple mount is where everything was happening. And we'll see in this session, and like I said, we're going to cover some really comprehensive things, maybe some things you've never heard before, some things that are going to seem elementary, but you're going to see how, first of all, God's dwelling place, his desire to be with his people is threaded throughout this book and is really relative to the temple. You know, all of the temples that are mentioned in the Word, which includes the tabernacles, are actually an image of the heavenly temple, uh, which was, you know, obviously was started in Exodus in 25. The last temple that's mentioned... Uh, uh, of course, in Ezekiel and then in Revelation 21, we'll talk about that. But the key thing about the temple is that it's associated with the priesthood and the feasts, the services, and all of the implements that are involved. So if you have a little bit of a handle on the feasts uh, and what transpires in those different feasts, you'll understand a lot more about the book of Revelation. When we get into this more uh, February, March, into the book of Exodus, you'll have a lot of things unwound to you uh, that you may have never heard before either. That will give you a better understanding, particularly in the days we're in. Now, in Revelation, uh, well, beyond Revelation 21-22, the Lord himself 
is represented as the temple of the New Jerusalem, because that's in Revelation 21-22. And it says, And I saw no temple therein, talking about uh, the New Jerusalem, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. What's interesting is that of the 613 mitzvot of the commandments, all but about 90 of them have something to do with the temple. That's huge. That's huge. And and the temple all has something to do with service to God. In Exodus 25.8, this is where the direction first came to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, which Moses got that revelation and says, and let them make me a sanctuary. This is what the Lord told Moses. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might what? Dwell among them. According, and then he says, to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So there's a validation on how Moses actually received this pattern. You know, how do you see something? How do you, because of the the intricacy of the instruments, the furniture and so on that was in the tabernacle, you know, where did he, how did he get this? In Hebrews 8, 4, it says, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law or according to the Torah, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, said he, that thou, it's talking about the Lord, see that you make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. Now, relative to heavenly things and spiritual things in the men, who received this information experienced the Shekinah or the glory of God. When we look at this, when we look at the book of Revelation, and some people have said to me, well, where's the timeline? Uh, you know, is there an outline? You know, where, where do we start? Because how many of you have been in classes on the Revelation or, or watch videos or, or things about the book of Revelation? And, you know, you can watch the first or second one. By the third one, your head begins to spin around on its axis, and you're trying to figure out because it's usually a list of itemized things. Okay? But, you know, people will always prophesy or predict uh, according to the baseline of, of their uh, the timeline of events of which they are current, the current period that they're in. So if you had people in that were in the 1500s or the 1600s and there's wars going on in the particular country, uh, they'll relate that experience or that dictator or that king uh, to, to what they think are the, matches with the events in the book of Revelation. So then you get to the 19th century and you have the Civil War and you have other wars abroad and you say, well, look, this is what's happening. Armageddon's coming. And then you get into the 20th century and you have World War One. You say, this is a world war. Surely this is it. And then right between that, less than 20 years later, you have World War Two, and you have Hitler and people predict the end of the world is coming. And then, of course, we go further than that. We go into the, you know, our current period. Uh, in the 1990s and the early part of this century with the, the Iraqi wars, and we have, um, uh, who is it, uh, Saddam Hussein saying it's the mother of all wars. You know, and how many of us, when you, I know exactly where I was driving in my car when, I, when that came on the radio, uh, that, that we invade, or Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Do you remember that? It was going to be the mother of all wars. And so, you know, every prophecy person and whoever was doing a class on Revelation, this was it. This was the end. So it's all fundamental to a period of time. 
You know, and that's why we can never really predict it. That's why an understanding of the feast is a lot more stable than a lot of the, the thoughts that people have about the end times. So that's the approach that we're taking on this. But these men who were just like you and me, who received information from God relative to these times, they were men just like you and me who were received up into glory. And God himself showed them what was going to happen, okay? That they would never see in their own lifetime. And we've read this verse before in 24.18. It said, Moses went into the midst of the cloud, this is at Sinai, and got him up into the mount, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And they say that when he went up, there was all the smoke and the fire and the glory that he literally passed into God's glory. And that's where God showed him these things in the heavenly places. And, when, of course, when he came down at a later time, his face shone because the glory of the God was was reflected from him. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1, it came to pass in the sixth year. In the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house and the elders of Judah sat before me, here he is in a meeting with the Zakin, and what happens? That the hand of the Lord fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness is the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward is the appearance of brightness, is the color of amber. You know, what a show. What a psychedelic show. All of a sudden he's here with Zakin, they're having a leaders meeting, and wham! He gets, he gets, he gets caught away here. And it says he, and look at this. He put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. Boom, grabbed him by the hair and boom. Whether it was physical or not, I don't know. I wasn't there, but to him, it was, it was real. And the spirit lifted me up between earth and the heaven and brought me in, in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the inner gate that looks towards the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And I know where just where this was on the Temple Mount, uh, where the Lord actually took him and brought him to where this was. But Rabbi Shaul also had those ty- had visions like, like that. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 1, I, I must boast. There is nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. But I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So... If God shows a man something, he's either going to tell him to tell people about it or he's going to tell him to shut up, but gives him the information for some reason for him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants what must soon take place, and he made it known by sending his what? His angel to his servant John. In verse 10 it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and this was not Sunday. Okay, <laughs> Lord's Day was not Sunday. It was, it, it's the day when the Lord was going to re, uh, return, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So all of these men received information from God in a, in a different way. Moses went up into a cloud. Ezekiel was grabbed by a lock of his head in the Spirit. Paul got revelations. John, the angel, came. Every, they all receive information in a different way, but God communicated to them in a certain way. But nevertheless, this, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. 
You know, relative to what some of the stuff we'll share tonight, some of it might go over your head, you might get some of it, but here's the thing. You know who Israel Stefanski is, right? Well, and you know how we came across Israel Stefanski, and he, he was when he was in high school and he was walking down the street in Jerusalem, a terrorist blew up a bus that was, you know, just down the street from him, and so he went to help. And, of course, everybody's blown to bits, and uh, that brought him into that arena to where he later developed into helping out at these terrorist sites and so on when buses blew up and he would help identify body parts. Well, how many here would like to volunteer tonight to be a part of uh, any terrorist bombing uh, and help pick up body parts? And, in fact, my wife's father was in the African campaign in World War II, and his job was to pick up dead bodies and identify them. So it's not the funnest thing to be around death, particularly if you can't identify body parts. But that was because the Jewish people value life. That's what they had to do. And so I asked him, I said, how, how, did you, how did you deal with this? And he said, you know, he says, I put my mind in a place that when I saw these things, and you know what things I'm talking about, uh, he saw, I saw the greatness of God and how he made things and how he formed man. And he put, him play, he put himself in a positive place instead of it being, oh, this is off, this is terrible. Well, when we look at some of the things in the Word and we begin to examine them, because many times we just gloss over things and read things and we don't really look into the great detail that, that the Lord has put into it, but he's put things in there so that we can search them out. Okay, they're not just in there to read. This is not we're, not, we're not reading Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Although I know a lot of kids in school that read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn didn't get anything out of it. So, so with the word, we don't want to carry that same attitude into the word, but there, there are details in the word. There are things we can search out that God will give us a better view of himself and things that are to come. So in relation to the priesthood, the, the Torah declares that Israel were to function as priests between Yahweh and the nations, bringing Yahweh to the nations and the nations to Yahweh. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and what I want you to see here as I'm going through this and, and juggling back and forth, toggling back and forth between the book of Revelation and Torah, is that the Hebraic concept is all through the book of Revelation. Okay? And as I mentioned uh, last week or the week before that, uh, the... There's a, a great majority of the quotes from the, the Tanakh are in the book of Revelation. That's where, where some of the greatest bulk of references are in the Tanakh. And Pastor Mark, when he's back, he's going to go over a lot of that with you because he's going to have those charts. In Revelation 1, time, in 1 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So here it makes it very clear about being kings and priests. In Revelation 5.9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made unto us our God, what? Kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So here again, it brings up the king and the, the king and priestly concept. Now from Torah, Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if they, speaking to the children of Israel, if they'll obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. 
for all the earth is mine, and they shall be, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 6, But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast yourselves. What's interesting is that um, when the Lord set up, when the tabernacle was set up and it was and the children of Israel were encamped around the Levites who had no inheritance, but they were encamped around to take care of the, the tabernacle itself. And in Numbers chapter 3, verse 17, it says, These were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Morari. And they had specific responsibilities that were in the tabernacle, taking care of the furniture, the tent, the pegs, and all that. We'll go over all of that stuff in, in uh, sometime in February and March. Um, but you cannot help but look at some of this, these arrangements here and look at how it corresponds to the book of Revelation, which everybody else interprets a certain way. Uh, where they, wherever they get their information from, I'm not sure. But in Numbers 3.18, it says, These are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shemai, and the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, uh, Izahar, Hebron, and uh, Uziel. And then in verse 20, the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. So these were uh, were grandkids. Uh, the three sons of Levi, the eight grandsons of Levi, and the elders of the twelve tribes. Okay, so you have the twelve tribes and you had elders of those or heads of those tribes. The total number equals 23. Moses' family makes it 24. So in Revelation 4.4 4, it says, And round about the throne were 24 and 20 seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Of course, in different viewpoints, they say that the twenty-four elders could be the twenty-four courses of the priesthood that served twice per year for a week in Jerusalem, or the heads of the twelve tribes and the twelve apostles, because their names show up later in the book of Revelation. Nevertheless, the number adds up to twenty-four. But it makes it pretty clear that when you look back in the Torah and you look at the names of these of the of the priests and so on and the numbers and it adds up to 24 and then it shows up again in the book of Revelation the connection between Torah and Revelation becomes closer now in Revelation 21:10 it says he carried me away in the spirit to a great high a great and high mountain and showed me that that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now we're talking about a post-millennial Jerusalem, okay, after the millennium. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a great wall, a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of, of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And on the wall, the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So here, in the best that we can imagine what it, what it looks like, it at least gives the, the nomenclature, the names of whose names are on these foundations and are, are on these gates. What was Abraham looking for? 
You remember? It's really close to the Torah portion that we've been in here these last couple of weeks in Hebrews 11.9. You see, this is... This is where, when you start looking at terminology, how the terminology just it, it intertwines. Hebrews 11.9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a what? A city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We don't know all of the visions that Abraham got, or Isaac, or Jacob. We know some of them. But the Lord probably showed... He wouldn't have been looking for a city if he didn't know what it looked like. Okay? And and I, I'll tell you, the part that I enjoyed with David Decruitman last week, and again, I want to thank the the Lushes for making sure that he could get here, um, was was how the Jewish people, they've had thousands of years of how to work the Torah to look at all the possibilities of how something could be to try to put a fence around it and protect it and and to, to draw out of it those gems. But obviously, Abraham had other visions, otherwise he wouldn't have been looking for a city. No other city has this foundation. No other city has apostles and prophets concerning God as their builder. These apostles and prophets were concerned for the building of a city of the eternal ages. The builder puts their names in the foundations of its walls, and the adornment of the foundations are the names of the twelve. This is what Abraham and his seed looked for. They looked for a city. Now look at this, Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So here, right here in Ephesians, talking about the Gentiles who are grafted in to the Jewish people are built upon this foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, where where does the foundation of the apostles and prophets show up? In Revelation 21, in its glory. And when we get to when we get to the details on the tabernacle, and, and I'm going to gloss over this quickly. In verse 21, it says, "In whom all the building, talking about the saints and the Lord." Fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. In First Peter 2.5, it says, You also, as lively what? Stones. These stones, the, the, the concept of the stones come up. There's a physical, physical stones and there's spiritual stones. And when we get into the tabernacle, how the tabernacle was put together, because the tabernacle itself, not the temple, the tabernacle is a better picture of God's dwelling and how everything is, is intertwined and locked together. You know, how the, how the, the tent is made, how the, the panels are made, what the gold stands for, how the little loops that, that keeps the tent together and how they're all connected. And that's what this is talking about. That's what this terminology is, how everything is connected together. You'll see that in a second here. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And again, here it is, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now look at this, in Exodus 26, verse 6. This is where Moses is built, the, the, the tabernacle is being built. And it mentions this here because Moses was the one that reared up the tabernacle. He, after all everything was made, he made sure that it was all put together. But here in verse 6, it, it gives a, a real clue. 
to the unity and, and how it was put together. Thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold and couple the curtains together with the tashes and it shall be one tabernacle. You ever have like these, you know, you ever get like these kits to build things like tents and or boxes and things like this and they just don't seem like, you know, you're going to put it together. How's this thing going to stay together? It's going to just fall apart, you know, when I put it together. But somehow somebody in China or Japan figured it out. And so somehow when you put this thing together and you stick this clip here, the thing stays together. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody that's ever built anything, you wonder, how did this, how does this thing stay together in one clip? Well, this here, how these, these, these tashes and these, these gold clips these, that brought all this together, when it did it, it made it what? One tabernacle. The word one is a cod. There was something about that final piece that made it all as one. And the Lord's presence would dwell on upon that tabernacle. Well, besides the gold, there were other metals that were used in the tabernacle. In verse 3 of 25, it says, This is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass. And gold and precious stones are found in the new temple, but brass is not found, uh, which is significant. Brass is significant of judgment. The word for snake, which we talked about before, is nakash, uh, which is directly connected to the word for brass. They're virtually the same word, but brass stands for judgment. And as Chris is going to share in a, in a minute in Revelation 21, or in the book of Revelation, brass is in there, but it was relative to uh, Babylon. It doesn't show up any time later on. It's only gold. So the precious stones are significant uh, from the Garden of Eden all the way through Revelation chapter 21. And that's where I'm going to turn this now over to, to Chris Kuntz. Before he comes up here, I just want to say this, that uh, Chris Kuntz uh, is a certified gemologist. This is his business. His, his family has been in this business for years, so he's been trained in this in uh, his schooling. He's also a certified uh, metallurgist, so he understands metals and works with metals and works with precious stones. It's his business to identify them. He comes across Jewish people all over the world. He's traveled around the world uh, and met with Jewish people who deal in gems and diamonds and so on. And it sh- this shows up in the Bible. Okay, and that's what Chris is going to share. So he has a comprehensive knowledge of this. He's also the father of four children, most lately a, a little girl and uh, three boys and a wife that's still recuperating. And uh, Chris has also been a part uh, of our teaching team and that he has uh, he was a part of our pilot uh, foundations class last year uh, and has also been instrumental in the youth ministry and teaching. So be kind to Chris and please welcome Chris Kuntz. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Art. Well, that was quite the introduction, so I think I can go sit down now. (laughs) How are you guys doing tonight? Well, I've got some exciting stuff to share with you guys tonight. Before we get into that, um, I was going to say that we have, I have a book I've been studying, and it's by a gentleman named uh, uh, Robert Kuntz, George Frederick Kuntz, sorry. He uh, wrote this book about 100 years ago. He's a relative of mine. He worked for Tiffany's and Company. Pretty cool. He did a study on the breastplate. And so not only did he do that, but he also did a study on the birthstones, where they came from, and um, the zodiac and all those things and the correlations of all the gemstones. And believe it or not, comes all from the original stones found in the Bible. 
So, for why you're here tonight, we also, besides this, um, I'm excited to share with you about a letter I got from the president. Um, I wrote him a letter about our state of affairs and what we've got going on in, in the nations and around the world and Re- Book of Revelations and the end times here. Um, so that's going to be exciting to talk about. Now, as Pastor Art so well put together, the importance of the gemstones, the uh, light, um, everything to do with uh, uh, the, what we're going through in these days um, in this time, uh, we just are going to start out here in Ezekiel 28.13, talking about, we're going to go through tonight and sort of compare, first of all, we're going to go through and compare Lucifer, um, or the covering cherub, his stones that he had, which were nine stones. We're going to go through and talk about um, the 12 gemstones for the breastplate, uh, the, the stones that were used there and the correlation between them. And we're also going to get into the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelations. And it's going to be a really exciting journey. Um, tonight we're not going to go really deep into each gemstone per se, because there's a lot of topics to cover. But we're just going to briefly cover over them and give you a little bit of idea on the color of the stones, um, and which stones were there and which ones were not, to give you an idea of how to sort of gauge yourself as we get into the New Jerusalem. So, starting out of the book of Ezekiel 28.13, uh, it says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. So gold was the one metal that was included. Um, and the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in the in the day that thou was created. So we see Lucifer had nine gemstones, and the nine gemstones are nine of the twelve gemstones in the breastplate. Okay, so on your chart, the art created here for us, he has it outlined. Do you have an outline in blue for them, or is it, it's all black and white? Okay, so. You'll see, if, if you look across here, you're going to see Sardius, Topaz, Diamond, Odin, Pitta, Yahalom. And then as you look down, sort of look in, sort of in the middle of the second row, you're going to see Ligur, Agate, and Amethyst. Those aren't a part of the first nine stones here. So if you want to circle those, go ahead and circle those. Do you see the Ligur, Agate, and Amethyst on the second row here, in the center of the page on the, the page that all the gemstones are listed? Do you see that page? Are we all on the same page? Okay. All right. Just checking. Okay, perfect. We got the... Oh, this is an awesome picture from one of my gemstone books that I bought down at California at GIA. Um, in their library, they have one of the best libraries in the world on gemstones. And I asked, I wanted to know about the breastplate, and I wanted to learn about it. And they said, this guy has done it. So let's go through and and, uh, and you can go in there and check it out. So I, I've got another topic we'll be covering sometime in the future um, on the breastplate um, that's going to go in-depth. And it's awesome. So we'll, we'll cover that some other time, but tonight we're going to briefly go through them. So anyways, that's a beautiful picture. Isn't that awesome, the gemstones and everything? Okay, so the first stone here is Odin, which is Sardius. The second stone is Pitta, which is a light green stone. And I'm going to go through and look at the colors. So the first stone is red. Let's just go through the colors here. Pitta is a light green stone. Yahalom, a lot of people look at it as diamond, but it's, it means to smite. So they... We translate it as diamond because the hardest thing that can smite things and break things or cut things is a diamond. It's a tin in hardness on the Mohs scale. Okay? Um, and the Mohs scale is basically just a list of what can beat the next guy up. Okay? What can scratch the next one? And they get put in order. Okay? Of how they can hold up to the next gemstone. 
So, but at that time in history, diamonds so much was not a part of our geological or our archaeological studies. We don't see that going back that far um, in Egypt during those areas when we do digs. So I'm going to say that that stone was probably not diamond, but for the sake of the list, let's just let it be that way. Um, and then going on to Tarshish, uh, it was a location. Um, they call it beryl. Um, it's translated as like a golden stone. Now, Tarshish was a location, and citrine or an amethyst was uh, an amethyst stone or a quartz stone is heated, and it creates a beautiful golden color. That's where Tarshish was famous for these beautiful stones, and so that's a historical name that was given to these stones from Tarshish. Uh, Shoham was an onyx stone, and um, you'll see later it's the same stone that was on the breast on the the high priest's shoulders, um, and it's actually a stone of three colors. It is a, cart, a, a sardonyx which is layered. It has like red, white, and black. So if you engrave down into that, you can imagine the, the, how picture-framed the word is or the letters are going to be in that stone. So get that in your mind as you're thinking about this. Now we also have sapphire or sapphire, which in my um, perspective looking at this, it wouldn't be our common day sapphire, but more a lapis lazuli, um, a blue stone, that was known for its dark blue color, but when you looked at it, it looked like the stars in the heavens, um, the sun and the moon, as we see on one of the flags. Um, or what's the word you said for the dagos? Dagos? Dago. Yeah. So, um, okay, so then the nofek is a red stone. It could be a garnet or a car- uh, carnelian. Uh, in the Hebrew picture language, what's exciting or interesting is that it's the... Uh, Actually, we won't get into that. We we got to cover a lot. So there's a lot of picture language stuff here we can go into. But uh, carbuncle or barakith is going to be a green stone, like an emerald. But also it was mentioned as a clear rock crystal. If you look um, at some points, this stone is mentioned to be clear, like a like a rainbow. And but they call it green. Um, so or an emerald. So. This stone, a rock crystal, has like rainbow colors or multiple colors you can uh, see in it. But again, it's, there's a lot of thoughts um, on what stones are what, and there's a lot of paths these stones come to us through for the names we have for them. So we won't get into that too much tonight, but that's the last piece here is gold. So the first one here, I'm going a little more in depth because that's most of the stones. There's only three stones I'll cover in the next one. Yes. Jasper. Yashve. It's going to be like a green jasper. Now, I don't believe that this stone is going to be what we think of as today's jasper, but more of a green chalcedony. Um, green chalcedony is a in the same family. Jasper, for instance, is a opaque quartz. So amethyst, right? Quartz is the family of lots of different stones. Tiger eye and all that's from the quartz family. So... This is just an opaque form of that. But now we're, we're going to see later here how that stone um, is mentioned as like the the walls of the New Jerusalem. So if the light of the city from God and the sun is trying to shine through and it's going to be it's going to light the nations from that place. If this opaque stone that's very very deep, the wall itself is on the outside, only God can get light through that. But if it was a typical normal setup. It has to be a stone that was translucent, at least. So the stone that I would imagine for that one would have to be a, a stone similar to jasper, but a green uh, chalcedony. Okay, so moving on here. So I, as you picture his stones, though, the, the center stone, if you look at this list, the center stone is going to be the shoham, which is the same stone that was on the breast, on the shoulder straps of the, the high priest. 
And so that's the center stone of this list. So on one side, he would have had stones covering him. On the other side, he would have stones covering him as he covered some of the things of God in some aspect, however he was, as the covering cherub. So it's sort of interesting to see that he had those coverings. But it says here that he was walking amongst the fiery stones. We'll see later. So let's go into the the word here, makuka, which is cover. So in Ezekiel 28.14, let's jump down past that. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Okay? So let's look at covering. What is the covering itself? So makuka or mesuka is in the Hebrew picture language, on the left there you can see the picture language, but on the right you see it's 40, 60, 20, and 5, um, which together equal 125. And if you add those together, you, you get 8, which is the heart of God. So he was covering something to do with the heart of God. You know, the, the 8 in the picture language is the chet, which is the like an inner chamber, the holy of holies. What was in there was the the Torah, the the staff, the budded, all these things. So he was he was not in it or amongst it. He was covering it. So he was outside of all this. Okay, but he covered it. Um, now we see later it says that if I established you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So it could have been the stones that were covering him or whatever, but it doesn't give you a good explanation. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. But what does it say? So now we see iniquity was found within him. So he he was not within what he was covering. He was covering something that was perfect. But he himself did not have it within him, or as it says here. But we see that what he was covering was something to do with the heart of God in the picture language. So interesting. Now, iniquity was found within him. So iniquity, let's look at that word. It is evil, or evil. And then picture language, on the left there, if you go to the right, you see it's 7630, which equals 106, which added together equals 7. Which is law, which, which itself, 7 itself is the living word, perfection, or the Sabbath. But, he did not have that. It says that he, with iniquity was found within him. So he did not have that. So iniquity, he was without, he was lawless, without the Torah or Yeshua, the, which is our rest, our peace, our shalom. So just some fun stuff on those, a couple of those words covering iniquity, things of that nature. Um, here we see nine stones were the covering of the anointed covering cherub. The ninth Hebrew letter in the Aleph Bet is the Tet. So what's the Tet? You guys remember from Mark's teaching, the serpent? Okay, so then he had nine stones covering him. So the ninth Hebrew letter was the Tet, which is the serpent. Who was the one that came in the garden and what did he come as? The serpent. Okay. In the Paleo-Hebrew, it was a picture of a serpent. Okay, so we've covered that. Now let's go... Is everybody with me? Is this fun? Okay. All right. So we've got the the high priest here, um, which is we're going to cover next. He had 12 stones. They were stones of remembrance. Okay, so there's going to be a difference between the stones that were over um, this covering cherub and now the ones that were brought in before the Father. Now in Exodus 39.14, And the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names. Like the engraving of a signet, every one with his name according to the twelve tribes. So each gemstone um, would have looked like an intaglio. 
Um, if you ever have looked at rings, um, gone into jewelry stores or looked in historical books on kings and things, they would have had these seals or rings that had, um, they would stamp it in ink and then they would stamp a letter or in wax and then they would seal the letter. Right? Those were stones that were carved that, they, that would keep that same appearance. But that's sort of like a, um, a carving that comes up. But an intaglio is something that's carved down in that acid and nothing or any of those things could wash away. So the names of the tribes of Israel were etched, engraved down into the gemstones. But as we get into uh, this a study and when the Torah portion comes around for this, we'll talk about how um, there's a possibility those names were engraved on the back of the stones in reverse. So as light washed through them, it sort of did a cool effect. But we'll get into that some other time. Okay, so let's go up to Exodus 39.10 on the chart page. And it says in Exodus 39.10, And they set in it four rows of stones. Now, it doesn't describe if it's four rows of stones, bam, 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 like this. It doesn't describe it. It could be from the north to the south to the east to the west, as some um, of our Jewish brothers describe it as, uh, as the wind or as they camped, right? Um, but we look at it as in a row, three stones, and four rows. One, two, three, starting from right to left. So the first stone is the same here as we're going down. Odom, Pitdai, Bereketh, Nofek, Kafir, Yahalom, Leshem, Shavu, uh, Shavu, or, and this it's spelled differently than I've seen it. Shavu is how um, Art pronounced it here on here. But it has a V normally. Shavav. So then Amethyst, Akhlama, Tarshish, Shoham, Yashve, Zahab, which is gold, um, corresponds to the Septuagint in the Greek is how he, if, do you guys have these asterisks next to the, um, the words? Okay, if you have these asterisks, what Art did as he made this is anything that has a, a single asterisk, um, I believe he set it up as stones that do not correlate with the new Jerusalem. And the two asterisks, if you see double asterisks, they correlate directly in the Septuagint to the New Jerusalem with the, the gemstones there. So it's sort of a way to look at it there. Is that correct, Art? Okay. So the same covering on Lucifer is the one with the single asterisk. The double asterisk are the stones that were in the New Jerusalem. Okay. So going down this list, it looks like the only three stones that aren't on there for, for, Tarsh, for uh, Lucifer or for the covering cherub would be Ligur or Leshem, which... And if you go back into the uh, the ancient language for Leshem, it was believed to be lux, uh, lynx urine. Okay, It was fossilized lynx urine. So, But it really, today in gemology, it's not lynx urine. It just looks that way. Okay, it, it, Yeah, it had maybe leftover eaten particles or whatever in it, but it was amber. Okay, Amber is a... a a stone from, you know, drippings that are from trees that get over bugs and other animals and things, depending on how big they are. And that is what they thought. It was just this, wow, the, you know, but it wasn't. It was just amber. Okay, but that wasn't with uh, uh, the covering cherub. That was with the stones of remembrance. Okay, and then we also have the agate, which I believe is a red stone. Not because agate can come in different colors, but I believe this stone here is actually because in the picture language, I want to get into this one just for a second. The sheen bet vav 
is actually consuming the house attached or eating or the fire or the teeth. You know, that's what the sheen is. It's a, a molar tooth or a fire. Um, the, the bet is the house or the son of the house. And then the vav is the nail that attaches. So on this word, you know, you look at this red stone and it describes it as this burning ember sometimes. And you think, well, what does every home have that's attached to it? A fireplace. Right, so in the picture language, I'm thinking they're trying to say, hey, look, this is a coal, a hot ember. This this looks like a coal. So this gemstone reminds us of the stones, the coals in our fireplace, in our homes. And again, that's, you know, just looking at the picture language. Take it or leave it, but that's that was my thought on that. And it's a red stone. And then the amethyst, which is royalty, the royal um, lines would wear it. It's a, uh, in that time in history, it would have been more of a lighter purple, but it actually... Uh, today is very rich in color, very rich in purple. It would have been more of a lavender tone, a little bit of a reddish purple tone to it. Okay, now we're not going to go over the rest of these stones <clears throat> because we went over them on the first ones. Now, let's go back to the next, the page we were on before. And let's see what the next PowerPoint is. Okay, we're not there yet. Okay. So in Exodus thirty-nine fourteen, when we just read that scripture earlier, when it said 12 according to their names... If you look at the, the word 12 in Hebrew, you see the Shinaim, which is 12. And it is the Sheen starting out, which is 300. Then we have 50, 10, and 40. And that's the, the numbers for these pictures here. And it equals 400. And I'm not going to get into how you can follow all these numbers, because they all mean things. But, you know, you guys can go and have fun looking at this. But the idea here is 400 equals 4 if you take and add them together. Now, the 12, 4, is interesting because it's a doorway. Uh, it's the Dalet that reveals judgment um, because we see it's connected to the number 12, uh, which is the 12 gemstones. And they were there for what? What were the 12 gemstones there for in the breastplate? They were there for remembrance. remembrance. And they would go in before... Um, they. They would go in before the Lord and, and he would remember the tribes. Um, so it was a way that God would say, hey, I'll remember you. You bring, this is, you bring these in before me. And we see here that God would use it to judge the, the nation, the, the nation of Israel, the, the separate tribes, um, also to, uh, discern, you know, he would tell Aaron through lights of discernment, lights and decision, the erm and the thummim, um, lighting up the different stones, um, and things of that nature possibly or around them, depending on if they were opaque or transparent. Now, going into the Hebrew letter there for the for the uh, doorway, the twelfth Hebrew letter is the Lamed, a shepherd's staff. It's also the numerical value of 30. So the 12 stones, which the number 12 here, it equaled 4, which is the doorway that reveals to judgment. But the, the twelfth Hebrew letter, or the number 12, is also the number... Is also the twelfth Hebrew letter Lamed. Okay, it doesn't. It's not the number twelve, but the twelfth Hebrew letter is Lamed. Okay, Lamed is thirty in its numbers. Okay, so thirty itself is just trying to say, look, it's ten, ten, ten. I mean, you're looking at the hand of God, the hand of God, the hand of God. But if you have questions on that, we can go into that later. We got to move on to other things. So let's go in. Did you have a question there? Okay, let's go into Revelations. So on the next page here, let's go into Revelations twenty-one nineteen through 22. 
The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was Yashve or Jasper. Remember I told you guys that the first foundation stone or the foundation stone of the wall of the city was Jasper? Okay. Um, so I'm believing it more of a clear Chalcedony. Okay. The... Let's see, let's go into... So an opa- so the first stone, Jasper, is an opaque stone that comes in many colors. It grows from silica, sand, or quartz. Iaspis is the stone that is believed to be the biblical stone mentioned here due to its green color and translucent nature. So we went over all that. Let's go into the second stone, which is the sapphire. The third is chalcedony. The fourth is emerald. The fifth is sardonyx. The sixth is sardius. And the seventh, chrysolite. So you don't see that word before. It is, it's now mentioned for the first time. The eighth is beryl. The ninth is topaz. Tenth, chrysophrase, which is not mentioned before. The eleventh is jacinth, which is not mentioned before. And the twelfth is amethyst, which is mentioned in the Stones of Remembrance. Um, now, all these stones, just so you know where these ones are translated from, are from the King James Version. Um, there's lots of versions that translate the uh, with a couple of different stones they think that they could be. So that's... That's if you want to go and look at that, that's where it's coming from. Now on this year, let's go into Revelations twenty one twenty one. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Well actually, before we move into that, let's go back to Revelations here where it talks about the stones. Let's go over these stones like we did before. So we'll go to the first page where we have the chart, and we'll go into the third section of the chart now. Okay. So we're not going to go over Yashfair or Saphir, but we'll go now into Chalcedony. Okay, so the third stone down, that's a new stone, and chalcedony would be similar to the stone I mentioned earlier, but it comes in multiple different colors. So the big thing I see here is God's using different colors, certain colors that are specific to his plan, that he's connecting them to the to the tribes, to the promises that uh, um, Jacob gave to them through the blessings, um, when you see how they traveled with the flags, but we aren't going to get in that tonight, but here... Chalcedony, so it could be any color, but um, it's just a chalcedony stone for Cacodon or Chacodon. Now, the next stone is chrysolite, chrysolithus. Now, again, these are not words we use in gemology. In GIA, when I was studying in Carlsbad, they use gemological terms, subspecies, species, you know, categories, and we have refractive indexes, specific gravities, all those things for gemstones. Here we're using words that mean places, words that mean colors, words that mean links, urine, you know what I mean? We're, we're using all these different things, and it's like, as a gemologist, I'm going, I don't even have the basic colors for all these stones to be, I mean, even start guessing what these stones could be as of today, right? But I'm working through it. So we'll have a really good time going through all this uh, on the breastplate study. So bear with me. Um, now, I'm not going to go into the colors, actually, on these three stones, but I'm just going to mention them. So chalcedony, chrysolite, chrysophras, and jacinth. Those, those are four stones here that seem new to, from the list before. Although the... And then, yeah, red is purple for the amethyst. Okay, so if you have any questions, we can talk about these things. But for now, I'm not going to go into those for color because there's a lot of translation on what that could be. All right, so we're going to start talking tonight now a little bit about the New Jerusalem. The the foundation stones, the colors, what it's going to be like to walk into that place. In Revelations 21.21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. 
and the street of the city was pure gold. So first of all, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. They weren't 12 pearls. They were one pearl times 12. So each gate was like walking through... Anyone have pearl necklaces here? Okay. There's a hole drilled in the center, and the rope goes through it. Now imagine you're walking through that. You got dwarfed, and you're walking through that little pearl, right? It's like It looks like a giant tunnel, correct? Okay. Well, that pearl was the gate to the city. And as you went through that pearl, it was probably quite the journey. Because the wall was very thick. The pearl had to be very big to be spherical. Or it could have been a tube shape, because pearls can be round. They can be elongated, because they grow over coral or sand. Um, And they can also be in many colors. So they can be pink, white, black, right? So... Just picture that as you're walking through the, the gate. It's a pearl. You're walking in through it. And something is at the other side. A light at the end of the tunnel, right? <laughs> you're seeing a light maybe at the other side where, where God is. Okay. Now, each of individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. So now you've walked through this pearl. You've entered into the city. And your feet. I'm picturing my feet bare. Naked feet. Okay? I'm picturing I'm walking into the city. And it's pure. Take your feet, your shoes off, because where you're standing is holy ground. And I touch on, I touch that gold. And as Art was mentioning before, everything's connected. We're there, and you're instantly healed. All tears are wiped away. All aches and pains are gone. You're zeroed out, right? You're zeroed out because when you wear gold, I don't know if any of you have ever worn gold um, bracelets or watches or rings or necklaces. It brings and keeps the warmth of your body there. It's warm to the touch. And it doesn't draw um, like a like a vehicle driving through a tunnel and leaving. It, it's, it, it's like stainless steel washes, for instance. They, they take your heat or stainless cars or vehicles or computers. They draw energy from you. And stainless, a metal, draws energy. It's, it's a little bit warm, but at the end of the day, when I wear one, my wrist aches. When I wear a gold watch, my ache is not there. Because it keeps the heat there, and it makes you feel whole, and it's like a heat pack right there on your body, right? So when you touch that city, you walk through that gate, and you step in, and you touch that gold, you're going to be zeroed out. You're going to be touching the radiant power of God flowing through the the complete connected system of the New Jerusalem, where he is the light of the city, where he is the healing power of the city, where he wipes away every tear from your eye, and where you are healed instantly just when you touch that thing. I mean, you're just... Pain's gone, back's feeling good, everything's good, right? So picture that. Now it's going to speak about your, it's going to speak to our senses also, because it says the gold was like transparent glass. Now, I mean, it could be a mirror of glass, you know, where it's reflecting everything and so it almost looks transparent, like you can see color through it. But it's going to be, you know, it could, and it could also be pounded very, very thin. Um, you can take gold and get it to the point where you can't even see it when you look at it sideways. The gold is still connected, though. It's not gone. It's there. It's sheets. You can eat it. You know, it's, I mean, it's very, very thin. It's still connected. It could be that the streets are overlaid. Not bricks like, hey, what are you doing bringing bricks to heaven? You know, that joke or whatever of gold. That's what we pave our streets with. Well, it may be thick gold streets. It may be thin, you know, computer chip style setup. You know? Right? But it's transferring. Okay? You, you possibly could see through it or maybe you're seeing reflections of the material. Now, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So as Art mentioned before, they're not going to be in the Holy of Holies. 
they're going to be in the New Jerusalem, and their light is not going to be contained within a building, but it's going to radiate forth from and through all those gemstones and the gold. Imagine the colors as the white, as the, the white light or the radiant light and power of God is washing through the stones. Can you imagine the, the rainbow effect and the, you know, and the, the reflections and the, you know, I mean, it's like totally psychedelic, you know, as art would say, you know. I wasn't from that era, so I don't know. <laughs> so imagine that, though. You're being healed. You're coming in. You're getting overwhelmed with all these colors and feelings, and I don't know what it's going to smell like, right? But just pull yourself into that place. That's I, w- I want to linger there for a moment because that's exciting. But then as if you're outside the city, imagine now you're outside the city. How are we doing for time? We're looking like uh, six, seven, thirty. Okay, okay. So we're looking at uh, the city itself, and from the outside, if you were of the nations that are left from among the earth here in the new heavens, the new earth, you would be seeing this green structure because, as I said before, that stone on the outside wall was a greenish stone. The light would transfer through, but the light would radiate throughout the the world. So it's actually quite interesting to think about. Okay, so, but it brings healing, because green, when, when I was in gemology, they, they told me, every once in a while, Chris, go out and look at green grass, look at green trees, it's going to calm your eyes. So, I mean, we're, it's going to be awesome. Okay, so, in my father's house, there are many mansions, right? If we're not so, I would have told you. Alright, so Joshua, let's, let's move on to some comparisons between, uh, and I'm going to go quickly through this, because I only have a few minutes left, I want to get into this letter I got from Obama, and I want to share that with you guys. So, in Joshua 4, 20-21, let's. can you turn the PowerPoints back on for me? I have one slide I want to show everybody, and then we'll go ahead and... Okay, so that's looking from the city, and you're looking through the pearl out. I believe that's going out. No, that's going into the city. Yeah, into the city, through the pearl, and you see the water that flows from the throne, huh? That goes out for the healing of the nations and the, the trees that are going to grow along it and everything for the, the f- different fruits of different manners. That's just amazing. And there's the light in the city. Now in Joshua 4, 20-21, and those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua, Seth, and Gilgal, then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask of their fathers in times to come, say, saying, What are these stones? Then you will let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. So God asked them to pull these, sto- these twelve stones to remind them of what God had done. We see here earlier that God had... Twelve stones to remind him. Now he's saying, now you take twelve stones to remind you of what I have done. Let's move on to Ezekiel, um, to the twelve stones above were for Israel to remember. Okay, we went over that. In Numbers 10.9, and if we go to, to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. That's just another example of, you know, he asks us to blow the shofar so we can rethink about him, but then he re- remembers us going into battle. All right. So now the letter I got from the president, or matter of fact, the letter I sent to the president first. Okay, so this is what I said to him. I urge you to change the course of history for good and not for evil, so that we might be the beginnings of the nations that will turn from harm and stand for eternal future. Support encourage, and encourage Israel. God has said in his word that he will repay the nations with good things like the ability to partake in the kingdom he has prepared for his covenant people. Israel, 
and us that stand and support and care for his people. The least of these, Israel. But on the contrary, evil such as the nations that stand idly by or bring harm to Israel will be thrown into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do not think that you are or our nation will escape from the coming judgment of the nations. I thought of Esther. Don't think just because you're in the king's house that you're going to be saved. Don't think just because you're the president or whoever that you're going to be saved. We're all equal. Okay? Each generation needs to make the choice to stand and help the least of these Israel. And I went through a couple of scriptures. So let's go through these scriptures really quick because I need to move on here. Um, but I gave you some scriptures to back up the idea. And it's going to help you understand that who Israel is and the importance of standing for them for our audience listening um, throughout the world and also here today that may not have caught this already. In Genesis 12:1, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that blesses thee and I will curse him that curses thee and in thee shall be the families of the earth be cursed. Or be blessed. Blessed. Sorry. Blessed. Bless you, my brother. Okay. Now, so we see that that you're either blessed or cursed through Israel, if we bless or curse Israel. So in Jonah 3, 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, because they had not been obeying the things of God, and they were an enemy to Israel. In Jonah 3, 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So, I just have this as an example to say it's never too late, nations, if you want to choose to support Israel, to stand for Israel, to, to take care of the least of these, my brethren. You have a chance. Today's the day. Deuteronomy 7, 7, not because of your being more numerous than any of those peoples that Yehovah delighted in and fixes on you, for ye are the least of all the peoples. So he's talking to Abraham here and Abraham here in Deuteronomy 7, 7. And he's saying it's not because of your greatness that I chose you. But you're the least of these. That's why I chose you. Because I want my name to be made great through you. I don't want you to boast and say that, hey, you chose us because we're the man. You know? That's not the reason. You know, it's because I made you that way. Matthew twenty five thirty one. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he set up upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. So the feast of nations. Huh? Tabernacles? And... And he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And he's talking about here because they supported um, the least of these, my brethren. First Peter 2.5, you also... Living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua HaMashiach, as Art mentioned before. Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelations 21.23-24, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor in it. So here, let's read that again. This is talking about the nations now. This is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And 
Here, the nations that are left from among the nations of the earth are here around the New Jerusalem. So there's the New Jerusalem, which we focus on, but there are going to be nations left from among the earth that are going to be in this new heaven, new earth, and they're going to be walking in the light and the glory of it. So today is that day, Mr. President. Please join with the people of this great nation and stand for Israel. Amen? We turn back to God and His ways. Our leader, humble yourself, or lead us around the world. And a righteous example before the creator of the heavens and earth. For it's not by might nor by power, but by my strength, says the Lord. So I'm going to just really quickly, I'm about to pass this back over to Pastor Art. And I'm just going to mention to you what, in response to my letter, what President Obama, can we pull the slide up here? What President Obama replied to me. It took about two months, but I got a a response back from him. Dear Christopher, thank you for writing. I have heard from many Americans concerned about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and I appreciate your perspective. I remain committed to a sustained diplomatic effort to promote peace in the region, because achieving a secure and lasting peace is critical, not only for Israelis and Palestinians, but also for their neighbors and the United States. Resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict demands our immediate and continual attention, continued attention. For generations, the conflict has taken a terrible human toll and continuous instability in the Middle East makes us all less safe. We must open a more hopeful chapter in the story of the Holy Land. Through comprehensive and sustained efforts, we can achieve the goal of two states, a Jewish state of Israel and a viable state of Palestine, living side by side in peace and security. This approach requires working with Israelis, Palestinians, and other stakeholders over the long term, and my administration, if you re-elect me as president, will do just that. I encourage you to join me online and read more about my administration's approach to this complex issue and other critical foreign policy matters at www.whitehouse.gov forward slash issues forward slash foreign slash policy. Again, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Sincerely, Barack Obama. So that's not saying anything about him, but that's just the letter I sent, his response, and now you guys know. Amen? Is God good? Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray for the new Jerusalem. Pastor Art? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Show your appreciation. Thank you, Chris. Good, thank you. Let me tie this together for you very quickly, uh, just to clarify something. And if you go back to the, uh, the, the where there's the three pages with the charts with the stones, you can see the the, the continuity between these uh, these different stones. And I want to re-explain the asterisks uh, on the on on the Lucifer's and. An explanation of individuals interpreting it, that when they say that, well, this isn't really Lucifer. In fact, the Jewish people don't even, because they say it's the son of Tyrus, but the son of Tyrus was not in the Garden of Eden, okay? So it's showing it's a type of Satan and this covering, which are these stones. Uh, and where, what I did here was, is where you see the asterisks, I wanted to clarify that that they're all the same names, even in the uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, that they all coincide with each other. Okay, so they're all the same. If it says Sardius, it's the same thing that was the covering that it shows for Lucifer. And also the same thing 
that are on, that's the foundation in the, uh, the temple, the post-millennial temple. That's what the asterisk is to show that in the Greek, it's the same thing in the Greek as in the Hebrew. They're the same ones. But it's the absence or the addition of the stones as you go on. So there were more stones that were on the breastplate than Lucifer had. There was a reason why there was three more in the breastplate of the high priest. And there was a reason why there were other stones in the foundation of the temple. Okay? And, uh, Chris was, uh, when he was talking about the colors, why he couldn't be definitive on the colors, is because in, in that time, the diamonds, there weren't diamonds in certain areas of the world, and there were certain places where, how could they get these diamonds? So, for the sake of translation, the translators put what they thought was actually a diamond or an emerald or so on, and the colors don't match with what we define them as today. So you have to go back to uh, either the picture language or uh, what the uh, the names are in the Hebrew, okay? And that's why he's going to reserve that for another time because the colors as we think they are, they're not colors. And the emerald doesn't necessarily mean that it's a green. Diamond doesn't mean that it's clear. Uh, it, it, nobody really knows, and that was the frustrating thing for you is that in talking to gemologists, they didn't. They didn't really know what these gems were, or what their names were, or what their colors were. But here's the thing: if you go to the very last page here, after Chris's notes, the word for stones is lithos in the Greek, uh, which are the, the foundation stones that are in the in the uh, New Jerusalem in the final uh, temple or the New Jerusalem. It, it is consistent for the word stone in the uh, in the Tanakh. Okay, so. The, the stones are the same stones that are mentioned in the Tanakh. The covering of Lucifer, it says, was originally a perfect pattern. In Ezekiel 28:12, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thou saith, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. These words in the Hebrew, thou sealest up the sum, means thou art the perfect finished pattern. And that's what, what 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 the nomenclature that was given to this this king of Tyrus or this picture of Satan is that you were the perfect pattern. You were the finished pattern. You were perfect in beauty. And this word uh, perfect in beauty is the word Khalil. It's not the same as Khalil woman. It's it's a different Khalil which which look at it here it's on your notes. It means complete a sacrifice entirely consumed. What sacrifice is entirely consumed that you know about in the temple? It's the burnt offering. And then, in fact, that's what it says, utterly whole burnt offering, a sacrifice. So whatever his, when it says that, that the, the, he had the, in the day he was created, he had pipes and his, and tablets were his covering and so on. Uh, some, some individuals believe that, uh, he had whatever Lucifer covered with his coverings that he was involved in, in, uh, in the worship in the heavenly places. That was part of his responsibility in worship. And uh, But yet at the same time, it says he was perfect in beauty, being a finished pattern. It, he was like a complete burnt offering. He utterly gave all of himself until, 
until iniquity was found in him. In verse 14 it says, 28, Ezekiel 28, Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. This stones of fire is another mystery that a lot of translators and interpreters have a difficult time with uh, because the stones in the midst of the fire, originally they believe that the earth was originally pure element. Uh, and, and how it looked in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve showed up there. And when Lucifer was there, everything was pure element. Gold, sapphires, everything, and, and so on. And then when it became corrupt, then the Garden of God was made in the east of Eden. Uh, and Adam and Eve was placed in that. The reason that the serpent was called the shiny serpent, as Chris went over with uh, the stones, they were shiny. Uh, he had a shiny appearance to him because his covering was stones. See, yet the high priest had stones covering his heart, those 12 stones. On his shoulders were the stones that carried the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, as well as being written on the breastplate. Uh, and the stones that were on Lucifer indicate that uh, he had certain priestly functions in the heavenly places. Uh, the other thing is, and we'll talk about this at a later time too, the children of Israel had what were called dagles with the banners. You know how we have our banners that are set up on Shabbat? And they had certain colors to them. And the way the tribes were set up, when the tribes moved or they went into battle, those banners went before them. And they had, they had certain insignia on them and they had certain colors. The colors of those banners, or those, they're called dagles, matched the stones that were on the priest's breastplate, which is amazing. And why do I tell you all that? Why do we try to connect this from the stones on, on Lucifer to the breastplate to the foundations in the heavenly temple? Is because God keeps his things consistent. See, he keeps consistent. There's reasons why he has those colors, why he has those types of stones. As uh, Chris mentioned, in the in the heavenly, the New Jerusalem, uh, the, you know, he, he didn't mention that. How many of you saw the first Star Trek movie that ever came out? And they had the whale that was in the Enterprise. I don't know if you remember that. But they had to build that tank out of transparent aluminum. Well, I don't know. We don't have transparent aluminum. But gold can be beaten so it's transparent. Correct? Correct. And how it absorbs heat and how it gives off heat. And so it talks, that's when we talk about streets of gold and so on. It could literally either be mirror-like or it could be transparent. So that's how amazing God is, what he does with pure element and with these stones. But whatever they have, whatever the effect is will have an effect on the nations that are about it and the people that enter into the heavenly Jerusalem. See, the cherubs also guarded the way to the tree of life. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when he had to drive Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he says he drove out the man and he placed them at the east of the Garden of, of Eden, cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so they guarded that tree of life, but in 22.14 of Revelation it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. So the ones that enter into the gates of the city of the New Jerusalem are those that do what? Keep his commandments and they'll have a right to the tree of life. Amazing. Okay. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your great mysteries. Father, in your secrets, those that you reveal to us and those that we need to dig and to search out to bring greater understanding. But it says the glory of kings is to search out a matter.
And Father, we may not know everything, but you reveal to us little by little. And one day we will know as we are known. And, and Father, what a glorious day that will be as we see you face to face in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. If you have any questions for Chris, he could probably give you a lot more detail than he covered up here. So you're welcome to chat with him. You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like, and we'd sure appreciate it, and it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program.